Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan, Calgary. All right, welcome to the program. It's just after 2 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. Another edition of Sportsnet Today coming your way. Here on Sportsnet 960, the fan coming at you live from our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I am Logan Gordon along with you for the next hour. Our producer for the day is the one and only Patrick Dumas. Patrick, how are we on this Wednesday? Oh, you know, getting ready for two simultaneous fantasy football drafts tonight. Can't double book them. I did. Well, I've got good news for you, Patrick. Even if you are one of those people that does have a fantasy draft left to do ahead of NFL kickoff tomorrow night... We have the man with the answers. Andy McNamara coming up at 2.30 this afternoon. You don't want to miss it. Uh, If you have week one questions about starters, if you happen to have a fantasy draft left and need some advice, Ask Andy will be coming up just after 2.30. You can start sending in your questions now for Andy at 960-960. You can also send them to my Twitter, at Fan960Logan, or Andy's Twitter, at AndyMC81. Uh, Andy might not answer them during the show, but he will answer your tweets uh, and questions about fantasy football uh, when he gets time. So if you're looking for some fantasy football advice, we've got your guy AMC coming up just after 2.30. In a couple of moments, we'll chat uh, with uh, Matty Rose, host of the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960. A little bit of a Labor Day recap for the Calgary Stampeders who don't exactly blow the lid off of McMahon to start the game. A rather pedestrian first half that leads to a lot of questions about the quarterback position and then a great second half to put away their provincial rivals. Here's what head coach Dave Dickinson had to say. He was on the big show in the morning with Matt and Nick Alberg a little bit earlier on today. You can get this wherever you get your podcast, Google, Spotify, Amazon, etc. And just sort of talked about the confidence level that he has and the confidence level that Bo Levi Mitchell and Jake Mayer have in themselves when they get in some of those tougher situations. Yeah, I think Jake's got a lot of inner confidence, and so does Bo. And they know, yeah, obviously, they go out there, do their job, and make their throws. And um, starting quarterback, it's his job to to lead us to that victory, and that's that's kind of the way I've always done it. Jake Mayer does eventually lead the Calgary Stampeders to victory. Uh, it wasn't probably as he planned it. One thing Jake's done very well, I think in his short CFL starting career have been coming out, you know, fairly strong in games. He hasn't needed a lot of drives to get things going, but credit to the Edmonton Elks defense who made things difficult on him, but coming out in the second half, Stamps made some adjustments. One of them getting Reggie Bagleton more involved. Uh, We'll chat about that and more as we go down the uh, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in our Stan Peters reporter, and, of course, the host of the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960, uh, Matty Rose, joins the program. Matt, how are you, pal? Hi, good morning. Doing well. What's going on? Uh, it's 2.05 in the afternoon, Matt. Yeah. Uh, I just woke up, so... Fair enough. That, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Time is a fake construct. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, how are we feeling after uh, a big uh, victory for the Stamps on Monday? I know it wasn't how they probably drew it up but they get the important win over the Elks yeah and I think that's kind of um 
that's the bottom line. They got the win. First half, not a lot going well. I thought the defense was pretty strong. But even when you look at that Edmonton offense, I think they would say they probably you know, allowed them to have a little bit too much life than they would like. They were dominant in the second half. The defensive line was feasting. And the offense started to click and then really created a, a, a nice little cushion for the Stampeders that uh, a late touchdown kind of, you know, made it a little tighter than it was. But in the end, they get the win on Labor Day. They don't cover the spread, but in the end, they get the win. And, and that's the biggest thing that the coach and the players will take home. Let's talk about, obviously, the biggest factor in all of this. The Bo Levi-Mitchell-Jake Mayer conversation is one that, Look, we're probably going to have to deal with until the end of this season or until one guy takes a, a firm grip on this that they're not going to let go of. Uh, I guess I'll start with this because I saw it on Twitter, and I know if I saw it, then then you saw it. Were you surprised at halftime how much of a calling there was for Bo Levi to be put in that game? No, I wasn't surprised because, um, I don't know, I think that Fans can be a fickle bunch, and sometimes you do feel like it's the individuals who are clamoring for Jake Mayer that all of a sudden we're clamoring for Bo Levi Mitchell as well. But listen, in a situation where you're going into the second half, you've gone two and out on far too many drives, thrown an interception, and the offense just hasn't been able to do a thing similar to the way it looked when Bo Levi Mitchell was out there. Like the pass that he misses Reggie Bagleton on before he throws the interception is not a very nice looking play. And then of course he throws the pick and Stampeders defense is able to kind of keep them in the game despite some of the offensive setbacks early on. But I, I wasn't surprised that the fan base or some of the fan base wanted to see it because Bo Levi Mitchell is a hall of fame MOP winning great cup winning player. And he's easily the best back quarterback in the league. So I understand fans clamoring for it, but I also understood when Dave Dickinson held his ground. It's what we saw with Bo Levi Mitchell until he finally did turn the reins over to Jake Mayer just a few weeks ago. So I was, I wasn't surprised by the fan reaction. Um, You know, after I think it was the third straight two and out, I definitely started to wonder the same thing. Like, they go and they score that touchdown on the second drive, and you're thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be an absolute blow-up. But then Edmonton puts together a nice drive of their own, and then the Stamps offense just sputtered and stalled basically all the way through the first half. They had one decent drive near the end of the first half, but that was also stalled by penalties. So it was it was sloppy out of the gate, but I thought he was really good in the second half. He goes six for six on that one drive that they score the touchdown on their second drive of the second half and looked really good. Like I said, six for six, including a touchdown and a pass on the two-point convert. And then right after that, the Stampeders had that block punt on the next drive. The defense absolutely shut things down. And the Stampeders were able to go out and, and kind of get Reggie Bagleton activated. Luther Hakunavanu came out and made a really big catch. Kadeem Carey had a solid game. Um, they just played a lot better in the second half, and, and I think that was a big reason. He stuck with your guy, Jake Mayer, who right now is, is looking like the a, a solid number one quarterback in this league. It's interesting that, I, at least I found it interesting, how many people were so quick to, to want Bo because, uh, you know, Dave has talked so much to you guys in the media and the guys that are there all the time about, 
you know, wanting to let his guys have a long leash. And, you know, for Bo Levi Mitchell, I think people forget, Matt, it took, you know, 12 weeks before Dave was really ready to to pull the trigger on pushing him out. So I don't know if people should be surprised that the leash for Jake was longer than just a first half in a Labor Day game. Yeah, exactly. And listen, Dave Dickinson played the position. Um, it's kind of his mantra. He's not the type of guy to really make changes like that in the middle of the game, unless it's absolute code red. Like, he likes to give his players a chance to get in there and figure things out because the simple fact is that Dave Dickinson has seen these guys perform in practice to a way that he finds acceptable. And when he doesn't see that in the game, well, then he thinks about making choices, but he also has to give that a chance to kind of get settled in in different games. And he talked about it in our interview this morning as well when he joined us on the big show. He does every Wednesday. But he mentioned like the, the Edmonton defense threw some different looks at him. Uh, some things that they weren't expecting. And it was similar to what the Stampeders were able to do to Nathan Rourke when he came through town uh, a few weeks back and and looked completely out of sorts for the first quarter and then absolutely turned it on and ended up beating the Stampeders in that 41-40 to nail-biter. So, I don't know. It's it's one of those things with Dave Dickinson where he's going to let his guys stay in and, and fight it out until kind of the options are out unless you get hurt. Then they've got another option, and I can see them pulling the trigger kind of quick if it's one of those things where, oh, he's got an injury. It's If you're, like, questionable to return, we go to the backup because you're comfortable with the backup. But right now, I think it would be hard to pull someone based on performance that quickly after you've kind of given him an opportunity to lead this team. Let's talk about the other side of the ball. Uh, Jameer Thurman comes back. Uh, there was a, a bit of talk about him heading into the week, whether or not he'd be fully ready. Sure looked like he was fully ready there, Matt. Nine tackles. Uh, I believe he's a CFL performer of the week this week and just looked like that centerpiece of the Stamps defense that he always is. Yep. Uh, had the nine tackles, uh, the one tackle for loss as well. He was a monster, and, and that's kind of what he is. He's a guy that really helps out the defense in, in both the run-blocking game, and he can do a really solid job in protection as well. But he's a guy that you know they typically won't use if they're spying the quarterback. That's usually something that Cam Judge fills in and does because he's got that kind of sideline-to-sideline side speed. But even Taylor Cornelius is able to get away from Judge a few times in that game. Uh, and then Thurman kind of has to drop into coverage. But we've already seen him get an interception. It's somewhere where uh, I would say he's, he's comfortable. Um, I know that you know there's some talk on Twitter. John Lefebvre, the uh, communications manager for the Hitman, had talked about this being uh, uh, his nickname being the octopus because he not, you know, nothing escapes him, uh, whether it's in coverage or whether it's down in the box making the tackle uh, in the run game. Nobody escapes Jerry Thurman, and we saw exactly that in the last game. And, and he's one of those guys that really helps, right? He's someone that you have to be aware of if you're an offensive line, and, and he's hovering around the line of scrimmage and, and perhaps help with the defensive line having their best game that we've seen all season long. Well, let's talk about that D-line. That's exactly where I wanted to go next with you, Matt. Matt Rose from uh, the Big Show in the Morning here on Sportsnet 960 and, of course, our Stampeders uh, insider here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, Flo Limerade has, has two quarterback sacks. Sean Lemon with another two. Uh, Mike Rose is in there. Th- this defense you know, put Taylor Cornelius on the run all game long, and I, I find, and I'm sure the coaching staff and you agree, Matt, that this team just – 
it just flows better defensively when they're able to get that consistent quarterback pressure. Yeah, hundred percent. It's one of the it's one of the biggest keys. You know, you talk about the CFL being a quarterback driven league. Well, the biggest way to disrupt the quarterback is to have good defensive line pressure and be able to get after the quarterback with just a three man rush, with just a four man rush. And we saw the Stampeders use four men for a lot of that game, although they were they were comfortable going into a three man drop when you know the, the second and long situation presented itself. But the guys feasted, and as the offensive line collapsed, like, listen, they had a new center in there as well. Corte had moved from, I believe it was a guard position, into center after they traded their starting center a couple of days before the game. And you could tell, like, there were snaps that Cornelius was, you know, picking up off of his boots, and then all of a sudden, okay, you're out of time, that that fake play action is gone, and, you know, my route is already gone, and you're running for your life. So there was a couple of instances where that definitely did not help the Elks either. But Sean Lemon coming through with a couple of sacks. Valerio Narimilade coming through with a couple. Those are your edge rush guys. Terrell McLean and um, Mike Rose on the interior. And the McLean one came late in the game. He's a guy who hasn't played a ton this year. So you love seeing a big Terrell McLean, number 98, get in there and make a big play for the team. And then uh, the other individual was Romeo McKnight, who got his hand up and uh, blocked that punt on special teams. So he's another backup defensive lineman for the Stampeders that was also involved in this game. Mike Rose had a sack. Derek Wigan recovered a fumble. Adiemi Berglund recovered a fumble that Sean Lemon had forced. Like, this was quite a game for the Stampeders defensive line. And if they can continue to put some performances together like that, this defense is going to be feeling pretty good about what they're able to do because in the second half of the game, the Edmonton Elks just could not put anything together. You look at their first four drives to start the half, um, all of them two and outs. One of them was a fumble as well. Then they had a field goal and a touchdown, and then it was a turnover and downs. And can pretty much dust your hands off and call her a day. So the one touchdown kind of hurt after, uh, I believe it might have been after the missed field goal. But apart from that, you have to feel good about what the defense was able to do. Talk to me about the Elks. Uh, obviously, the back half of this uh, home and home on Labor Day, it's going to be another important one for the Stamps to go up to uh, Commonwealth and continue the misery that, that Edmonton's had there the last couple of years. But these games are never as easy on the second half. You've shown some things uh, to that team. Obviously, you didn't have the start that you wanted if you're the uh, the Calgary Stampeders. This this Elks team kind of, I, I guess in the first half, I know they weren't great in the second half, man, but they kind of showed that, hey, look, we've, we've got a couple of guys that we like that are dangerous, and they, they can't be taken lightly heading into the rematch. Yeah, and you wonder if they're going to get their middle linebacker, Niles Morgan, back, who's been a pretty big piece for them. That would help them defensively for sure. Another player who's on the one-game injured list is Dion Lacey, who's a, a veteran in this league as well. I don't know. I, the, the Elks are having a tough year, right? It's it's the first season of Chris Jones being in there, and as a result, there's been a lot of turnover, and him just trying to find a personnel that he likes, and as a result, you've kind of seen some issues with the team. I think the offensive line has changed a lot over the course of the year, and that's a position that I firmly believe you kind of need to have continuity, not only season to season, but week to week to really have success there. So I think they've had some trouble in that sense. Darrell Walker was decent, but this is a team that's going to be without Kenny Lawler for 
at least six games with him being placed on the six-game injured list and one of the most effective receivers in the entire uh, CFL. There were, there were a couple guys who certainly popped for me. Kevin Brown, the running back, I thought had a really good game. Dylan Mitchell, uh, the wide receiver, both who have just arrived in the CFL recently, kind of been a couple of those guys that Chris Jones has been able to turn over. Uh, Brown at running back and Mitchell at receiver. I thought they really popped in the game and, and, and showed some promise. So I think the Stampeders could maybe do something to be a little bit more aware of those guys and, and stop Kai Loxley in the short game a little bit more. But apart from that, I think you just look and say, hey, if we can get a similar you know, performance from our defense that we had in the second half, we're going to be in pretty good shape to come back home with a win and, and keep Edmonton winless for keep that over a thousand days without a win at Commonwealth streak alive. Obviously a short turnaround uh, as this game always is. How are we looking from an injury standpoint? Did anything uh, come from that game and that win on Labor Day, Matt? So the one thing is Natrell Jamerson. That's the one thing that I'm looking at, the defensive back for the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, their session today actually isn't until like 4.30. So haven't seen the team uh, on the field since after uh, the Labor Day Classic. So that's the one thing that we're monitoring, the inter- injury to Natrell Jamerson and, and who might be available to come in and help in the secondary Um the list is kind of short. Tremaine Washington got some work earlier on in the season. Brandon Dozier looked to be close to returning. If Dozier returns, then maybe you can move Kobe Williams out to that corner spot, um, being an American and being a guy that could kind of fill in there. So that's something I would look for. Uh, the biggest thing would be the injury to Natrell Jamerson and as well the return of Brandon Dozier. But you never know. There might be some of the things that we uh, see at practice today. Well, and it's not like injuries in the uh, backfield is anything new to this group. Oof, no, sir. Um, that's been a that's been a very constant theory or theme for uh, the Stampeders over the course of the year. You look at um, Titus Wall and Darius Williams, a couple of young players who came in and were playing Sam linebacker very well. They get hurt both on six games. So Kobe Williams comes in to play the Sam position. He's been playing halfback typically, and that's kind of where he's better suited. But he gets thrown into Sam, and and he lost his position on the defense because he got hurt in game one. And then on top of that, you're missing, you know, Trey Roberson and J.B. and Elliott and Marcellus Branch and Dimitri Royer, who was a recent draft pick, plus Dozier, like, it's been a rough go in the secondary for the Stamps this year. And uh, just the latest year, you definitely hope for the best with Jamerson, but um, did not look great when he was down on the field, that's for sure. So other than uh, obviously getting off to a better start, what are you looking for from the Stamps in this rematch against the uh, Elks coming up on Saturday night? Yeah, uh, a little bit more um, kind of, I don't even know if focus is the right word, but um, just go out and, and perform in the first half a little bit better. I think that would be one of the things to keep an eye on. Um, Like you said, I I would expect some different things from Chris Jones' defense to be thrown at the Stampeders, but if that happens, you have to be ready. You have to be able to kind of put your head down and battle through, and Jake Mayer is one of those guys that he loves to get prepared. So he's going to be an individual who I think is 
uh, ready for almost anything that Edmonton throws at them at him, especially after how this last game went. And I think Dave Dickinson will be uh, aware and very prepared for that as well. Uh, not to say he wasn't this past game, but mm-hmm. you know, you you get a little bit of tape against the actual Elks yourself, this recent Elks team, and and I think that helps for sure. And I know Dave won't mention this, but I'll, I'll ask you, Matt. It, does it add some importance to you to this game for the Stampeders' sake of things? If you look at it and say, hey. Look, we've got a chance to go into Edmonton, a, a team we just beat this week, pick up another two points. Well, the Riders have to go into Winnipeg in hostile territory and you know, finally maybe get a chance to, to open up some separation there in the West Division. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely been in their mind. Um, really, I, I would say since the Nathan Rourke injury, I think of they're probably looking at it and say, okay, this thing is a lot more wide open than we might have thought because B.C., um, really kind of could have gotten up and, and ran away with things um, over these couple of weeks before the Stampeders uh, played them in their head-to-head because BC has Montreal uh, this week. They had a bye last week, but perhaps they could have you know, had a win. They lost to Saskatchewan as well, so that was an interesting wrinkle to kind of fit into things as well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that every game from this point on is very important when you look at the way the standings are. Uh, this is a tough matchup for Saskatchewan for them to go into Winnipeg and uh, everything that's kind of gone on with them. Even losing, losing at home to Winnipeg last week, this rematch is always tough. Um, six and six for Saskatchewan. If, if you can win this game, move to eight and four. You feel pretty good. BC going into Montreal, anything could happen there. I don't know. It, it, I firmly believe that second is very much available to the Stampeders. That's something that they want. Uh, first, it's going to be very tough because you got swept by the Bombers, so mm-hmm. you're going to need a little bit of help from the rest of the CFL. But uh, catching Winnipeg is certainly in question. If you could, or catching BC, pardon me, is certainly in question. And if you could do that before this next little back-to-back where you play them twice, that would be outstanding. Uh, Stampeders and Elks finish off the back-to-back uh, Labor Day games Saturday night at Commonwealth Stadium, 6 p.m. kickoff. Uh, Matty, appreciate this today. I'm sure we'll hear from you uh, as the week continues with your Stamps reports. Thanks, pal. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. There you go. Matty Rose uh, from the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. And, of course, uh, of course, you hear him here on the afternoons, either with his live uh, or uh, his uh, usual stamps reports that run every day here on Sportsnet 960, getting you set for a big matchup. Uh, Stan Peters with the win on Monday. Look to do so again on Saturday night, 6 o'clock against Edmonton. And, uh, yeah, Patrick Dumas, uh, our producer today, that would be a, a an awfully big step for the Stampeders to gain some separation yeah. against Saskatchewan, a team they don't see until later this year, but you can mm-hmm. kind of take the edge off some of those games uh, knowing that you'll have a bit of a gap if the Bombers can beat Sask earlier in the day Saturday. Yeah, exactly. I think we can really see what the playoff picture will look like after this weekend with the rematches and BC getting back involved here. There's still a lot of unknown with BC and their quarterback situation, whether or not Vernon Adams can mesh well early on and can kind of take the pressure off BC and stop the bleeding there. But uh, it's a big weekend for Calgary. They cannot go up to Edmonton where you know, we know this the situation in Edmonton with the crowds and, and the team there. That's not a good group. The Stamps should be able to go in there. But again, I said it last week that they should be able to handle the Elks well on Labor Day, and they struggled at points. But, you know, it is big in the standings with the way Saskatchewan is falling down here. This is a, It's pretty much a de facto four-pointer game here this weekend. 
Stamps and Elks, uh, I mentioned a couple times, Saturday night at uh, Commonwealth Stadium, 6 p.m. kickoff. We'll hear from Matt uh, throughout the week getting you set for that game on Saturday. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Ask Andy is next. We're just one day away from kicking off the NFL season. From SoFi Stadium, it's the Bills and the Rams. Do you have week one NFL fantasy questions or... Are you like Patrick Dumas and you haven't done any of your drafts yet and you still have all the draft prep that you need to do in the next 8 to 10 hours? If any of those apply to you, get your questions in 960-960 to the fan feedback line or you can tweet me your questions at Fan960Logan. Our NFL fantasy football expert Andy McNamara is coming up next. If you've got fantasy football questions ahead of week one, this is your time to get them in. 960-960. Andy McNamara joins Sportsnet today next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We are just over 24 hours away from kickoff on a new NFL season. Welcome back to Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I am Logan Gordon, and yes, the NFL season is ready to kick off. They will honor the championship season of the Los Angeles Rams ahead of tomorrow night's game between the Bills and the Rams. And what an opening night matchup that one is. And with uh, another season kicking off, that means, of course, another NFL fantasy football season. And when we talk NFL fantasy here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, there's only one person that we go to. It is our pal Andy McNamara joining us this afternoon. Andy, how are you, pal? Logan, doing good, man. Listen, I always appreciate a good AEW wrestling intro with the Young Bucks Super Kick Party. You got me pumped up, buddy. I'm ready to go. Uh, good to hear <laughs> it, man. I'm jacked up. How excited are you for tomorrow night just from a, oh. a football perspective? What an opening night uh, uh, treat we get. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it, if it's just opening night regardless, it's exciting. But this is going to be a really good game. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. We're already pumped. It doesn't matter, really, if you had – the Jets and Jaguars going, you'd still be excited because football was back. But Bills, Rams, like, let's go. This is this is a uh, possibility, again, of maybe a possible Super Bowl matchup, right? Like the Bills coming out of the AFC and the Rams, as long as Matt Stafford's elbow doesn't fall off, you got to respect where they're at, too, as the defending champs. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I'll just, you know, drop a couple of these in before we dive too deep in the fantasy questions. And uh, you can get those fantasy questions, and they're already coming in. Uh, the fan feedback line is open, 960-960. Uh, if you have any fantasy football questions, starters, who you need on week one, if you're like Patrick Dumar, producer who's got a couple of drafts left to go tonight, uh, get those questions in for Andy. We'll start asking Andy in just a few moments here. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, a lot of people with you know Super Bowl hype for this Bills team, Andy, uh, are you someone that believes in that train as well? I am, and it all comes down to quarterback. Right? Do you have the best quarterback? And you, at least if you're talking top three, you have to have Josh Allen in that conversation. The question is going to be, though, Brian Dable gone, offensive coordinator for the Bills, now head coach of the Giants, and he was the one that brought Josh Allen along. And people forget, people see Josh Allen out. Wow, he's incredible. Josh Allen was the rawest of those first round quarterbacks taken in the 2018 draft. It could have easily easily gone south if he ended up with the Jets or my Browns or a whole whole bunch of different areas it could have gone quite wrong for Josh Allen but instead he went to a stable situation in Buffalo and Dable brought him along brilliantly 
year by year, adding a little bit more. And I liked last year too, that they brought in more of the tight end part, which is a big deal for Dawson Knox and someone you want, if you want to wait on the tight end for your fantasy draft, don't forget about Dawson Knox. But I just want to see with this Bills team now, does the offense, are there any changes? Smartly, they would let Josh Allen and things progress as it's been going. But how does that look without Brian Dable in his ear? I think Josh Allen has progressed just fine and that he's, he's going to be good. But that's the only kind of question I have because the other pieces all seem to be there. Interesting on the Rams side of things. Look, they bring most of the crew back. And there was, of course, the questions about Sean McVay. Was Aaron Donald still going to be motivated? They pay him uh, the money that he obviously deserves. I guess now you're wondering, for a group that had the questions, Andy, of, look, could they ever reach the heights of a Super Bowl? Okay, you've done it. Now does that same motivation apply for your repeat season? That's the question, right? Does, you've, you've done it. You've conquered it. You've got there. The questions are answered. For Matthew Stafford, right? You're not a Hall of Fame guy. You can't. And he's got it. So a lot of those questions, those, that chip on your shoulder is gone. Now you become the hunted, right? You're, you're the, the top. You're going to get every team's best shot, including tonight with the Buffalo Bills. So how do you respond to that? Um, one of the, the very interesting factors, and I think is going to be a key part of this season for the Rams, is how does Cam Akers return? Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him come back a bit, you know, in the playoffs, shook, shook off that rust from the, from the Achilles a little bit in the playoffs. Wasn't as explosive, but the guy was out with the Achilles all year. Come on, get, let's give the guy a bit of a break. I have him as my sleeper guy to watch, who's someone who could jump into the RB1 top 12 conversation on my sportsnet.ca article up right now. You can check that out, all the rankings and sleepers for each position at AndyMC81. I got that on Twitter, the link too. But for the, the Cam Akers reason is I look at the, the, the opportunity, and we have so many committees when it comes to running backs. How often do we talk about who, who's getting the share? What we, if anything, with Cam Akers missing time last year, what we know is Darrell Henderson is not a bell cow. Darrell Henderson is not a lead guy. Darrell Henderson had his shot, and he didn't take advantage of it. So Darrell Henderson is your change of pace guy. Cam Akers is healthy. He's going to get the reps. And if Matthew Stafford's elbow, if they want to sort of try to ease him, and, and uh, I think it would be smart for them to try to save him somewhat and maybe limit some of those throws, you want to lean on Cam Akers. If you can get back to that rookie season where he was averaging 4.3 yards per carry, you got yourself an RB1 that you can still get later in drafts. Okay, let's get into some fantasy football questions. That's what we're here for. That's what the listeners are here for. One last call out. We've got a bunch of them already. But if you've got some questions for Andy McNamara, our fantasy football guru here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, 960-960. Now is the time to get them in. We'll take draft questions. We'll take week one questions. We'll take waiver questions. If you've got them, send them in. Just a couple more for you here, Andy. A couple of questions that I've seen floated around and through a couple of drafts that I've been in, I've seen a lot of variance in. I'm curious where you come out on some of the first-year receivers this year because there's a couple of really intriguing spots here. You've got Drake London with the Falcons. You have Traylon Burks with the Titans. And then there's Sky Moore in Kansas City. What do you kind of feel around those group of first-year wideouts? My guy is somebody you didn't mention. That's Christian Watson. Yes. Uh, I, I, I just think the world of this, uh, of, of this talent that is on the Green Bay Packers. Now, it wasn't great that he missed some time in camp, but uh, we know Aaron Rodgers doesn't mince words, and he praised Christian Watson after sort of throwing the receivers earlier in camp under the bus that he's come along. I just think this guy 
has the total package. He's got the size, 6'3 and a bit, 200-plus pounds, can run, like, can run like Sky Moore almost as far as speed. Um, he's going to have a lot of opportunity. And that Green Bay offense needs to throw the football. The question is, who's getting the ball with no Devontae Adams? Before, it was Devontae Adams times four and then maybe somebody else. Now it's wide open. So who's going to separate? So Christian Watson out of that group, I think, has the clearest path to have a booming rookie season. I like Traylon Burks a lot, but he was banged up a bit. There's been mixed reports out of camp, and kind of the view is he'll be eased in. And, you know, if, if that Titans offense is running properly, it's going through Derrick Henry first. We have to look at the op- – remember, opportunity equals success in fantasy football. Who's going to get more opportunity? A run first to offense like Tennessee or a throw first offense like in Green Bay? So I think that that's a, 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 the person I would watch out of all those. The one I'm most bullish on is Christian Watson. All right, we've got some questions for you. We'll go through them here. You can continue to send them in to 960-960. Ask Andy is available to you here end of week one in the NFL fantasy season beginning tomorrow when the Bills and the Rams kick things off from SoFi Stadium. You ready to go here, Andy? Let's do it, baby. Let's go. All right, let's start it off. Uh, we got a, this question. Half PPR. Brees Hall or Tony Pollard in my flex? Uh, I mean, this texter also wondering what the chances are that Brees Hall is the true number one back for the Jets. Well, the situation in New York, of course, is, well, you're going to have uh, Uncle Joe Flacco with the first month, kids. That's uh, not great news. Uh, really, really, however, really, really, it's not good news at all. But were we really expecting, you know, Zach Wilson have an MVP? No, no. I don't think so. Um, so, you know, out of, out of the two, again, we have to look at if someone's going to touch the ball, who's going to get it? And it's going to be Brees Hall. They've, they've called him Batman and they called Michael Carter Robin. So that's first and, and second. And I would think if you're the Jets, you probably don't want Joe Flacco throwing the ball 40 times. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. Probably not a good idea. So, Brees Hall is the pick there. Tony Pollard, I understand the love for him. I, am, I just feel that Ezekiel Elliott is going to have a bounce back here. He's not injured. Uh, you got the banged up CD Lamb. Michael Gallup's not ready quite yet. And contract year, last year of guaranteed money. Follow the cash, people. Okay, last year of guaranteed money. Zeke wants to eat. He wants to keep scooping that soup out of the, uh, out of the bowl that you see in that gift. So Pollard, I, I love as a, a handcuff still. Maybe even some standalone flex in some weeks and maybe in a DraftKings lineup, you know, he's a cheaper buy. You pop him into the flex to save a little bit, but really you want to look who's going to get the most touches. And that's going to be Brees Hall. Uh, this one. I, I love these questions. They're always intriguing to me, Andy. Uh, Paul is asking a draft strategy that you would go in for a two quarterback league. Ooh, well, you know what? Actually, that's a very good question. Cause I uh, had last week, uh, my first draft in a two-quarterback league. And I, I, I personally have not participated in one before. So I always try to, like, each year do different types of fantasy drafts just so when you get questions like this, I can, you know, be, have the firsthand experience mm-hmm. to be able to, to share. Um, really, two-quarterback league means quarterback's value goes through the roof. Uh, and instead of waiting, let's say, till fourth, fifth round, uh, while you still want to keep the strategy of, top running back, get your, get your guy first, get the star power. Really, you want to be able to try to take advantage of those top quarterbacks because you got two spots. And it's an opportunity where you get somebody like a, you know, Justin Herbert, um, of course, Josh Allen, but it doesn't mean you need to get the top guy, 
but you want to have a stud you can rely on, and then maybe somebody with a little upside, right? Maybe who you can who you can wait on, but you still think could pop. Personally, I have as my sleeper this year Trevor Lawrence with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, guys, I, I think people forget that that Trevor Lawrence has been a stud and a like first round everything in his whole football life, and he didn't forget to play football. Guess what? As well, I'm giving him a mulligan, Logan. You're an Urban Meyer. Good Lord. That was, that was a disaster. <laughs> that was the worst. And so now you have the polar opposite Super Bowl champ, former NFL quarterback, QB whisper, Doug Peterson, who, by the way, likes to throw the football a lot. He was top 10. His Eagles teams, four out of his five years, there were top 10 in uh, pass attempts. Trevor Lawrence is going to be throwing the ball, and he's sneaky good mobile, too. He can pick you up some yards. So a Trevor Lawrence would be a guy I would swing back later on, but you want to try to address that quarterback situation soon. Not, not with the first overall pick. Uh, like not with the first round pick necessarily, but not too much after that. Maybe second or, or latest, probably third. And, and you have to track in your draft those runs. When do those start? Because you don't want to be left in the dust. Andy, uh, any should I be worried about the injury status of a T. Higgins or Zach Ertz? Should I be worried and need to pick up a tight end already? Well, personally with Zach Ertz, because of age, um, it is discouraging because the, the opportunities there with Hopkins being out. Uh, but it's certainly something to track. And he's an older guy. Right. So if we're, we're looking at Zach Ertz, it's like, all right, um, do we want to just rely on him? I would look at somebody to swing back on, um, not get rid of Zach Ertz. Now, I always try to go to, with a two tight end on a bench guy instead of that, like sixth wide receiver that, you know, you're not going to use. Pick up another tight end for a situation like this for bye week coverage. And in case Zach Ertz um, isn't healthy. Now, with his cap, he is back at practice. Okay, that is up today. He was back at practice, so he should be okay. I would look to uh, balance that out maybe with a David Njoku who still might be on your waiver wire, though, just in case. Where are you on, on T. Higgins in general? I think he's a rather intriguing name of, in fantasy across from Jamar Chase, who obviously exploded on the scene last year. Love T. Higgins. I have him ranked, um, I think he's going to be number 12 in a 12-team PPR fantasy league. I think he's that good. Uh, remember as well, look at the offense. Mm-hmm. They throw the ball in Cincinnati. That's all they do. They love throwing the football. And unlike last year when I was on with you guys, and we were yelling about, like, can you please protect Joe Burrow? Can we improve the offensive line? They've done that. So now you can throw even more, and there's going to be enough ball to go around for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. There's going to be enough to go around there. So I think he's going to be uh, just fine. And it's, it's a case, again, you want to be tracking that health and – um, he returned to practice on Monday, so he's, he didn't play in the preseason. They're being cautious. He's on track to play this week. So, you know, keep an eye on it, but I, it doesn't seem like it's something that, that should hamper him all year or anything like that. All right, Andy, uh, week one flex, DK Metcalf, Antonio Gibson, or Damian Pierce? Oh, boy. You know what? Uh, maybe I'm getting a hook Logan, but the more I look, the more I like Damian Pierce. Man, I'm getting, I'm getting hooked, man. I'm getting hooked. <laughs> and, the, and don't get me wrong. I am not a fan of the Houston Texans team as a whole yes. at all. They have plenty of, plenty of problems. Um, but Damian Pierce, he can catch, he can run. Um, and if you want to try to keep balance, now the concern, of course, is, well, the Texans stink and they're going to get down and then you're going to have to throw the ball a lot. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for Damian Pierce because you can still do safety checkdowns. Uh, Davis Mills can do that. Whereas my guy, DK Metcalf, it is a travesty to his talent. 
that you have the quarterbacks in Seattle. Geno Smith and Drew Locke, come on. Like, they're trying, they're half tanking it. They're, they're going to try to get a quarterback. That significantly hurts the value of DK Metcalf, especially. I'm not touching Tyler Lockett in any, any drafts, personally. Um, DK Metcalf is too talented to not have some success. But, but I have DK Metcalf now in, like, a WR3, that flex territory. I'm not that interested in him right now. I'd go week one. Give a little gander at Damian Pierce, see what the rookie can do. Uh, I think I know your answer based on our earlier talk about uh, young receivers, but this guy's curious between Packers receivers, who you like more, Romeo Dubs or Christian Watson? I do like the hype on Dubs. I do also like Dubs. Um, but, again, we, we got to look at the, the money talks. you got to look at the draft yep. capital, right? Christian Watson, high pick. I, I thought he had first-round talent. I think the Packers got a steal on him. Uh, so you, you got to look at that opportunity. And Aaron Rodgers praised him, right? Now, he, it's not like he bashed dubs or anything like that, but um, it's going to be a bit of a question. I believe you follow the draft capital, the size, the fact that Christian Watson can get down the field like a Devontae Adams, but has better size. And so to me, as long as he doesn't screw up early and lose the confidence of Aaron Rodgers, if he can go out and be confident and secure the ball, this could be a hot start for Christian Watson. So out of the two, I would go Watson. But really, until we see how this Packers post-Devontae Adams plays out, we're not going to really know. Andy, do either of Ronald Jones or Kenyon Drake have any fantasy value this year or in Dynasty Leagues? No. No, like Ronald Jones. You know what? If you read, if you read on Ronald Jones, the, you know, some of the, the, the uh, news and notes from around, the, the most favorable thing anyone said was, he made the 53-man roster. <laughs> Like, that's not a great start. It's a pretty low bar. Well, the highlight is like, well, he didn't get cut. He's not unemployed with Kansas State. That Kansas City backfield, not interested. No, we're not touching any of that. That is just a a total schmoz there. We we don't want any of that. And for Kenyon Drake with Baltimore, that is as committee-based as it's going to get. And guess who the top runner is? It's the quarterback. It sure is. Why am I going to believe Kenyon Drake is going to get the ball? More so than anybody else. Dynasty, redraft, any draft, no to both. Uh, Traylon Burks, Christian Watson, or Rashad Bateman? Mm, now, now, look, I like Bateman the player. I don't like Bateman the situation. Because we've seen that target share. If the ball's getting thrown in Baltimore, which it doesn't very often, and they rebuilt that offense to potentially throw even less with the running backs, more running backs, more protection for Lamar Jackson. The ball's going to Mark Andrews. I don't think the volume's going to be there for Bateman. I don't. So it was, who was the other Christian? Uh, was it Watson? Yeah, Watson, Burks, and Bateman. Yeah, I'm going Christian Watson again. Burks, I, I, again, I love the talent of Burks, but from the reports out of camp, banged up, slow, you know, not, not necessarily hitting the ground, running as much as they would like. Doesn't mean he's going to have a bad career or even a bad overall season. But the first half of the season, I don't think is going to be too much for Burks. I'd lean with Watson. Andy, thoughts on if any of these post-draft free agent running backs are worth grabbing in my 12-team league? Madison, Gainwell, McKissick, or White? You know who I would actually go with? I'd go with Dante Foreman out of Carolina. I've been hearing some stuff today, folks, okay? I've been hearing some stuff saying that um, the Carolina offense may look to use Christian McCaffrey more as a slot receiver 
and take on the running and, and put the running tasks on Donta Foreman. I've been hearing, I've heard that from two, at least two different sources that I have who have talked to who I trust. Donta Foreman, if you're looking at any of those other guys, because at this point with the names you listed, it's a crapshoot. Madison, mm-hmm. you have strictly for handcuff value. If Dalvin Cook's playing, he's not playing. He's not playing. It, when he gets the chance, he's going to be awesome. So we know Dalvin Cook through his career, he's going to miss two to four games, at least. It's going to happen. And Madison in those games is going to be terrific. You don't know when that's going to happen. I would take a flyer on Dante Foreman. It could prove totally false. Maybe he doesn't do well in the first game against the Browns, and they go and give Christian McCaffrey that workload. But what I'm hearing is they don't want to put Christian McCaffrey back in a 300-touch-plus type of situation that he has with his injuries. They want him available and fresh and on the field. So I would go off that list, look to pick up Dante Foreman, who, man, if he's owned, I don't even know if he's owned in 1% of leagues. Uh, last one for you. This one's a kind of a tricky one because you don't know who's going to go ahead uh, of this person in the draft. But I'm curious. This uh, texter texts in saying, I'm, I'm drafting ninth in a 10-team league. Any names for me to target around my first two picks? Obviously, late first round and then very early on in the second. Are there any names around 9 and 12, Andy, that, that might be there for this texter? You know what? That is actually amazing because tonight – I have a draft, my last draft, and I'm drafting ninth. So I've been looking at this exact situation. You've been working so on it. Very, this is very good, very lucky for the, for the text. That's tremendous. So here's, here's the tricky part when you're picking at that spot because you, you do have the quick turnaround. So you have to, you have to one, let the draft come to you. Assuming you're going to be losing anywhere from, what, five, maybe six running backs, you have to look at who's available compared to the wide receivers available for that first pick. So it really depends who goes first. Um, let's say there's a, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I would not envision a Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup lasting that long. Maybe you get lucky and one of them do. Maybe it's Jamar Chase is there. If that's the case, if one of those three receivers are there and you had a run on running backs, which I would expect, I would take any of those receivers at that nine spot. I would then turn around and look at, okay, who are the running backs left? Am I looking at something where it's a DeAndre Swift, a Nick Chubb who's still hanging around, and Najee Harris maybe slip a little bit? What about a Joe Mixon? Those type of guys are who I would swing back with that second pick to get. And then you still have, it's a lower-end RB1, but you can still have your RB1, and you got a stud receiver. Then when you circle back the third time, I would start looking heavily at tight ends and seeing if you can pick up Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, probably gone at that point. Start looking at the Dalton Schultz's of the world type of situation. See if you can get that tight end. Then you got your one, two, three, boom, 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 three studs right off the bat. Andy, you're the best, man. Uh, We're looking forward to these chats throughout the season as we get things going tomorrow night. Uh, Quick reminder to everybody that Andy has his full top 12 fantasy football rankings plus a sleeper explanation at each position available for you at sportsnet.ca if you are looking for some advice heading into a draft or you just uh, need some names to look out for ahead of week one Andy McNamara on Twitter at AndyMC81 always appreciate the time Andy take care pal oh Logan and you know what guys if you're done with all your drafts too you just go to you can go to DraftKings and play on the Thursday night as well right you can do the head-to-head of Rams versus Bills. You can have some fun there. But Logan, absolutely, brother. I love these chats with the listeners. And anything else, hit me up on Twitter. Andy, you're the best, pal. Take care.
See you, buddy. Bye-bye. See you. There you go. Andy McNamara at AndyMC81 on Twitter. You can use the hashtag AskAndy all season long. If you didn't get your questions in here, uh, Andy is always kind enough with his time on Twitter. Uh, if you're using the hashtags to uh, check every couple of, of, of hours on Twitter, really, uh, and answer any fantasy football questions you might have. Uh, that's going to do it for Hour 1 Sportsnet today, wrapping things up around the corner. Let's transition to a little bit of Flames talk. Pat Steinberg joins the program next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.